Well, today is a blustery day. It's been worse already. And I've been thinking a lot about winter, haven't you? Not the most pleasant subject. I know it hasn't officially begun. Uh, December 21st. Why it's so late? It's so cold already. Why, why do they do that? How many of you have already felt the cold creeping into your bones? Not so pleasant, is it? Uh, winter doesn't officially begin soon, like I said, but I'm not waiting until then to say, you know, I'm cold. You know, I, I, and I want to officially register a complaint. Um, complaint against winter, at least cold weather. You know, uh, I don't, don't like cold weather. Now, I like going out in the snow, much as the next person. I, I like playing in the snow. A lot of fun things you can do in the snow. A lot of beautiful things to see when snowing. I just don't like being cold, and maybe some of you with that. Uh, I much prefer summer, warm weather. It's more in keeping with my nature, my love of outdoors. In summer, the days seem longer. I know they're actually still 24 hours, but you have more daylight. So you can do all these things up till 9 or 9.30 p.m., and, and uh, it's great. I love first thing in the morning. My favorite thing in the day is to get up early in the morning. house is still quiet. And in the summertime, you can go out on the back porch immediately. It's already 70 degrees or something. Just go out there and have your devotions. I love that. Uh, in the wintertime, not so good. I go in the family room, and I get a blanket on me, and I put a little space heater there, and I'm like, like this. And it's just not as fun. It's just not as good. It's not as rich an experience with God when I'm shivering. So I don't enjoy winter, but winter is what? Inevitable. What are you going to do? Are you going to stop a season or something? Uh, we want to keep on living. we got to go through some winters. Every year you got to go through winter again. Every year. We can't stop it. We can't jump over it. We can't say, I'll bypass it this year. I'll skip right to spring, if you don't mind. There's another winter, however, that we don't like to talk about at all. It's the winter of our lives. You know, People just struggle thinking about winter is coming in their lifetime. That time when we've lived a long time and our strength begins to wane a little bit. We can't do what we used to do and we don't look the way we used to do. We don't have the strength. We don't have the endurance. We don't have the speed that we used to have. Winter is that part in our lives just before our lives end. And we don't know how long it's going to last. It may be a short season, maybe a long season, but we know it's the final season. <laughs> and it's not so easy to deal with sometimes. Well, we get to the end of 2 Timothy, our study, and Paul the Apostle is in the winter of his life when he's writing this letter. He'd grown old. He didn't have the strength, the endurance that he had in his youth. Even worse, he's in prison. And he knows that there is this death sentence over him, hanging over his head. At any moment, the cell door could open again and the guards would say, it's time. They would just take him out and take him to the place of execution. So he's finishing up his letter to Timothy, his young protege in the faith, and he finishes it with this impactful words. Do your best to come to me quickly. Do your best to get here before winter. Now Timothy, you must realize, is 800 miles away. And there's no interstate, there's no airline, no way for him to quickly make that trip. He's pastoring a local congregation in Ephesus. He may not have even known that Paul, until he got this letter, had been sentenced and, and he's going to die. 
And so Paul is saying to him, okay, you're reading this letter, drop everything and come to Rome. Come to where I am. Come to be with me again before it is too late. And we don't know if Timothy made it to Paul in time. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And so we want to think about this a little bit this morning. This thing about winter, coming before winter. We've been learning how to be faithful to the finish for the past two months. We've been studying 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter recorded in the New Testament, because he tells us in this letter what we need to do to keep on doing what we should be doing until Christ returns. How do you stay faithful to that? How do you go with all the, the mountains and valleys of life, all the trials and tribulations that a person goes through? How do you go through illness or maybe the loss of a job or the loss of a spouse or maybe something even worse than that? Your own life is ending. Today, we come to the final paragraph of Paul's final letter. This is the last thing that we can hold in our hands that the Apostle Paul wrote from all those different things he wrote. All those, no, a third of our New Testament he wrote. This is the last thing we have of what he wrote. So, like in most last letters, there's some important stuff here. Paul is urging something that is very important. So let's read it together. We're going to start with chapter 4, starting at verse 9, if you're following along. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal work, worker, did me a great deal of harm, and the Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side, gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The first thing I noticed as I was reading this was how many names are in there. How many? I mean, there's bunches of people here. How many people does Paul name at the end of this letter? He often does this, by the way. Includes Demas, Crescens, Titus, Luke, Mark, Tychicus, Alexander, uh, Carpus, and nine more people in the last four verses, and we won't go through all those names. But why does Paul do this? You get to the end of Romans, and the whole last chapter is practically the names of people he's sending greetings to. Why does he almost do, always do this in his letters? Well, the reason is people matter. People count. You know, what we do individually makes a difference. This ought to be a great encouragement to us. Because here's the Apostle Paul. He has thousands of people that he knows. Many people that he's brought to Christ. Many people he feels responsible for their growth, for their development, for the discipleship of their lives and their hearts. But he names individuals in every letter. It matters. 
It matters what people do in the kingdom of God. Don't think it doesn't. Some people Paul mentions by name, he's disappointed in. Some people have deserted him. Some people have left him high and dry. And others he's very proud of. But individuals matter. And so your life matters and my life matters. What we do personally for Jesus Christ makes a difference in this world. So then let's highlight really just two verses out of this text today because we want to focus on this idea of come before winter. First of all, verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly. And verse 21, do your best to get here before winter. And Paul's message is a message of urgency that the time is short. So be about the Lord's business. Or as Nike loves to say, just do it. You know, Just get the job done. When Paul said, do your best, he used a Greek word, spudazo. Would you say that with me? It's up here. Spudazo. Isn't that fun to say? I wish we had more language like that in English. This word means make every effort. And there are really two parts of this message, that, of this word that are really important. Two ideas. One is to make haste. Don't delay. Do it now. Get busy. And the second one, is to give maximum effort when you do. Give it your best shot. So the first part of that speaks urgency into whatever is being commanded. And the second part says, give maximum effort to this. And both are in this word. Do your very best and do it now, Paul is saying. Now we find this word many times in Scripture. Let me share a few of these. Probably these are pretty well-known Scriptures for many of you. They include Ephesians 4.3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 2 Timothy, earlier in this letter, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest to confirm uh, uh, to, so that no one will, be, will perish by following your example, or their example, which was the Israelites. And then 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling, your election. If you do these things, you'll never stumble. And 2 Peter 3, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Those last two examples, of course, the Apostle Peter. So there is this urgency and this desire that you would give every effort, maximum effort, is impressed upon us repeatedly in Scripture. Obviously, then it takes effort to live for Christ. Did anybody think this was going to be easy? Did anybody think that all you have to do is just kind of get yourself on the path, sit down on your, your, your skateboard and just ride down the hill and you arrive at the, the golden gates? You know, that, that's not what this is about. This is effort. To live as God wants you to. And if you think it doesn't take any effort, you're just fooling yourself. If we're talking about being faithful to the finish, we don't just coast across the finish line. Our race is not a downhill, easy ride. Why did Paul want Timothy to do his best to come before winter? Now think about the depth of their relationship. Think about how long Paul and Timothy had known each other. Timothy had been a young man when they first arrived at his hometown where his mother and grandmother had introduced him to God and taught him everything he could. They all became followers of Jesus, their Messiah, our Messiah. And when Paul is introduced, he's already got a good reputation as a young man devoted to God, serving God, and he invites him to go along on missionary journeys, and he does. So this lifelong relationship for Timothy 
and Paul for a big chunk of his life is a rich relationship. Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. Someone very near and dear to his heart. No wonder he wanted to see him one more time before he was taken to his execution by the Romans. Now, did Timothy go to Paul right away? We don't know. W.R. Criswell, in his sermon on this passage, imagined, what would it be if Timothy didn't go? What if he delayed the trip? Just suppose that Timothy delayed. He says, when he received the letter and the earnest admonition and appeal of the apostle, he doesn't go immediately. There's work to be done, after all, at Ephesus. And in that Asian capital, there's so many matters of the church. Besides that, he has a mission to Miletus, and besides that, to Colossae. Colossae, and beside that, the church in Philadelphia and Smyrna, churches of Asia. All of these churches, he's kind of like a district person by this time, working with other congregations. And then he makes his way, finally, after he gets all that settled, to Troas, where he could get on board a ship and try to make his way to Rome. And he inquires about a ship that sails to Macedonia, or even better, one that go around the bottom through the open sea and just goes straight to Italy. Is there a ship like that? And he learns there is not. It's too late in the season. Now it's, it's approaching winter and everybody's afraid to make a voyage like that. So they say no ship is sailing now till spring. And heavy-hearted, the young pastor returns to Ephesus. All that winter, all the dreary days and weeks and months of that winter, he's anxious about the aged apostle. How did he fare? How was that final trial that he was going through? And he reproaches himself over and over again for the delay. And when spring comes, he's the first one down at the port at Troas to book the ship. And the first ship that sails, he's on it. And when it lands at Brudisium, he races up the Apian Way to get to Rome. And he arrives at the place where Paul has been a prisoner. And he asks if he's there only to be greeted by a curse from the guard and pushed away. And so he goes hastily to the house of Adronicus or to the house of Claudia or to the house of Narcissus or one of the other Christians' houses, and he knocks at the door and he says, where, where is the Apostle Paul? And they look at him and they say, the Apostle Paul? Oh, you, you must be Timothy. Don't you know that the Apostle Paul was beheaded last December? Every time the jailer put the key in the door of his cell, he thought it might be you coming. The last message he left for you was this. He said, give my love to my son in the ministry. Remember me to my son. Timothy. Tell him to be true to the faith. Imagine the regret that would be in Timothy's life if he missed this opportunity. The winter of Paul's life was coming. The end was near. He was already sentenced and just waiting for his execution. Even the Apostle Paul couldn't stop what was about to happen. And in just the same way, the winter of the church's mission is indeed coming. At least our very part of that mission. Jesus may delay yet some years past our lifetimes, but in our reckoning, it is the winter of our mission. We only have so long that we can live, only so long that we can contribute, only so long that we can do whatever God puts on our hearts to do. And this message needs to be in our hearts and minds. Don't delay. Do it now. Give it your best. Paul was saying to his young son in the faith, come before winter, Timothy. I need you to support me, to encourage me. I don't want to go through this alone. Paul had been very strong and independent as he first came to Christ. 
Remember, if you read the Galatian letter, he said he didn't go and consult the other apostles what to do. He just listened to God. He just went off on his own, and the Spirit taught him what he needed to know. He went and he preached. He didn't depend on other people early on, but he learned to depend on them. Barnabas and Saul were chosen as his early partners in taking the gospel uh, to places where people had never heard of Jesus. Even people like John Mark who had deserted Paul and Barnabas on their first journey, was by this time in Paul's life very valuable to him. We read already in verse 11 of our text, he said, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. You know this story. You know that when they went on their first missionary journey, they had not gotten very far. They were just leaving the island uh, of Cyprus and were getting ready to go up into the mainland and really start doing some powerful work for God reaching into places that never heard about Jesus before. And John Mark says, you know, I don't like this. I'm going home. Just left them, abandoned them, deserted them. They went on without him. They went on without this helper. It made it much more difficult. But they finished the journey. They planted churches. They got back. And they were getting ready to go a second time to visit those churches, to encourage them. And Barnabas says, let's take my cousin, John Mark, again. I think he's got a little better. And Paul says, no way. There's no way I'm going to trust him. He wouldn't take him. And so Paul took Silas. They went one direction. Barnabas took John Mark. They went another direction to try and encourage churches. Eventually, Paul changed his mind about this young man. And the man who had failed them refused to continue being a failure. And he became somebody that God could use in a powerful way. Maybe somebody else here today is a John Mark. Actually, that's my name. <laughs> Maybe somebody else here today is a John Mark in spirit who has failed the Lord, who has failed perhaps miserably or maybe repeatedly, and you need the encouragement today, you know, don't live in the past. Don't live with the failure. Live in who you are today in Christ and learn to be valuable to Him. Come before winter. Time is short. Don't delay. Do it now. You see, the situation that we are in demands urgency. We will have many regrets if we do not do what we're supposed to do for God. One of my best friends in high school was named Guy. Guy White. <laughs> what, what an unremarkable name. But he was a really good guy. We, really, we had a lot of fun with that. And there were several of us in our youth group at, at church that hung out a lot together and we were in, in school together every day at Largo High School. For the last three years of high school, got really close to each other, and Guy lived right on Clearwater Bay. He was the richest guy I knew. And so we'd go over there and stay right on the bay and fish off his dock, and then he'd take me out into the deep sea of, of the Gulf of Mexico in his own boat because his dad was rich. And it was a, a, just a fun relationship because he was this unpresumptuous, nice guy, and we really enjoyed our time together. But then we graduated. And some of us were know, knowing that we were going to go into ministry. Four of us left from that same uh, congregation to go up to Milligan College and prepare for ministry. And we wanted Guy to go with us. Guy would not go. He wouldn't even go. He could have gotten a business degree or something there. But he wasn't sure what to do with his life. And so he's drifting. He's just kind of drifting around. And so we went off to school. We were going through the four years of college. He's at home, maybe taking a class here and there, not really sure what to do with his life. His dad 
was uh, much older, getting ready to just fully retire. Maybe he could have become the president of the company and different things, but he still didn't know what to do, and he kind of drifted away from God for a period of a couple years. And then as I went on into seminary, now I'm about 23 years old, I'm hearing about Guy, that Guy is coming back to God, and he's, he's trying to get involved with God again, and he's even become one of the sponsors of our youth group of my home church, and starting to do some things. And I thought, that's really encouraging to hear. I'm glad to hear that. Still didn't know much about him. Another year's passing. And then we get to summertime. Uh, in between my first and second year of seminary, I'm at church camp with a bunch of my seminary friends up in Tennessee. And we get word in the middle of our week that he was at another week in Florida with some of our teens at the, the camp there at Lake Wales. And he's just really enjoying time with the kids, really leading them in their walk with the Lord. And they decide to have a pickup game of uh, flag football. And so they're out there doing that on the field. In the middle of that game, guy who seems to be in perfect health collapses as a heart attack from a congenital heart problem nobody knew he had and died at the church camp. He's just gone. Just gone. We're getting word of this. You know, we all know life's not supposed to end at 23. Especially somebody that seems to be the picture of health. But that is how long Guy White had to make a difference for Jesus. Now, I don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know how long I'm going to live. But we all know that time is short. And you might be 23. You might be 83 or somewhere in between. But winter is coming. Are we going to come before winter? I got thinking to myself as I was reflecting all of this, how many people in the last uh, 45 years of this congregation, that's about how old this church is, this congregation, how many people have passed through the hallways of this church who've come to a service, come to an event, been part of ministry somewhere, and, and had some influence of this church on their life? How many people never did what God wanted them to do? And that's... Maybe staggering to think about. How many people have never made the decision to follow Christ when they should have? You know, they, they came for a while, maybe weeks or months. They had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Maybe they had a friendship with somebody in the church and they heard more and they saw more. And yet at the end of it all, they said, no thanks, I'm not going to do that. And they walked away. How many could have done something good? You know, you became a Christian or maybe were a Christian in this congregation. And you could have some, done something good or even great for God. But somehow they hung back in the shadows because of, of maybe fear or maybe just laziness or apathy. And then I got to thinking, very honestly, how many people are like that here right now, today? How many people are at the you know this, this precipice of of decision, who, who know that God is calling for something. Maybe it's a decision to become a Christian. Maybe it's a decision to do something for God that has been put on your heart, and you just, you just stay there on the edge. Or maybe back up a little bit, because it's a little bit nervous to be out there on the edge. So I'll just back off a little bit. I'll back away from what God's calling me to do. Is, is that you, child of God? If it is, listen to the Spirit of God. Don't put Him off. Don't, don't say, well, you know, I've got other things right now. 
Give me a month. Give me a year. Next winter, I'll come. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says this, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you're going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Solomon's got a way of saying things pretty directly. Where you're going, you don't get to do that anymore. But you have now. You have this moment. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. You hear the voice of God. You hear the calling of God. You hear the nudge of God. It's something God's saying prompting you and pretty directly sometimes. Sometimes not as directly. But you know that feeling. You know that thought is coming from God. Don't put Him off. Don't delay. Do it now. What could be some of these situations of coming before winter? Obviously, there could be a decision about deciding to follow Christ. You know, to fully surrender to Christ. And, and some people you know, just kind of hang out there for a period of time, maybe even months or years of their life. They know it's the right thing to do. They know it's something they need to do. They even want to do that. But for one reason or another, they put it off for a long time. Don't put it off any longer. Do it now. Don't wait. There's no reason to wait. There's no good reason to ever put off that decision. You know this is what God needs you to do, wants you to do, and you need Jesus Christ. Then make that decision. Maybe coming before winter is about getting rid of some sin in your life. And maybe a, a, this plaguing, repetitive thing. This thing that you've been trying to conquer on your own and just can't quite get it done. Maybe it's holding you back. And if you don't make this decision, you may not get to the finish line at all. It may get more of your life until eventually it takes your life. In the last paragraph of Paul's letter, he mentions a fellow named Demas who's deserted him. Why? Because he loved the world too much. Is that a problem for you? Do you love the world more than you love Jesus? Maybe coming before winter is about a relationship we have with someone and that you need to reconcile with them. Now maybe you can't do everything in that reconciliation, but you can do your part and you can make the step and you can say the words and you can open your heart. And maybe you've been resisting that because it's easier to hold on to your resentment and to your grudge and your, your, your anger about what they did. And God is saying, come before winter. Time is drawing late. It, it, you, know, you just don't delay these things. Go and make peace with that person, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe your neighbor. Maybe come before winter is something else. I don't know what that might be. It may just be whatever God's put on your heart, whatever He's been nudging or prompting you to do. And God won't force you to do that. He, he's a gentleman about these things. It's what He wants you to do. It is the best thing for you to do. He knows it. You probably know it. All that's left to do is to do it. Don't delay. We can continue being foolish if we want to, but it's so much better to wise up and follow God's wishes. So don't delay. Do it now. There's no time. Wait. What would you do if you found out, go to the doctor, and you find out you have one month? to live. Not the easiest news to hear. 
He says, you have 30 days. How would you live those last 30 days of your life? Now you don't worry about how much it costs to do something. You don't worry about, you know, oh, I've got to work 60 hours this week. You quit that because there's other things more important than you. For right now, you've got 30 days to live. What are you going to do in those 30 days? What would any of us do before our time is up? I want to suggest to you this morning, that's what you should be doing already. Not quitting your job. But the things that are important, the things that are of priority, the things of relationship, the things of love for God and serving God and being obedient to God and doing whatever God wants, that's what we should be about whether we have 30 days or 30 years. Because the time is short. Don't delay. Do it now. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, you've been putting it off. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, you don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell the person next to you. You know what God has been saying to you. You know what God has been pushing, prompting you to do. And you know what you've been putting off. Today, God is saying to each of us, don't delay. Do it now. Just do it now. Go seek out that person you need to reconcile with. Go make that decision to follow Christ. Start that ministry, whatever it may be, that God is putting on your heart. Speak to that person you need to speak to. And you've wanted to, you've thought, oh, that's today, today's the day. Do it today. Find them and speak to them today. Do it now. Take care of it now. Don't delay. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You are a God who knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. And you have a plan for our lives that is better than the plan we would ever make. That you have a design. You have timing. You have perfection in all of these things. We just need to get out of the way. We need to listen to you. We need to obey. We need to surrender. And when you say to do something, we need to just do it. It'll be the best thing we've ever done. when We obey you quickly. Help us, Lord, to realize that there are aspects to the Christian life that really do take effort. It's not easy street. It's not a downhill coast. It takes sacrifice. It takes devotion. It takes commitment. And when you say to do something, it's not our place to put it off and to delay and to wait for a better season. Lord, as this urgency message has been put on our hearts today, Help us to each listen clearly to your Spirit and act upon what you've directed us to do today. Help us to discover in that joy and satisfaction knowing that we have brought a smile to your face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song of praise to the Lord this morning. If you need to make a decision and... and uh, talk with somebody, you find your way up here to these front rows. We'll talk with you after the service, but just make that step. Make that first step. There's somebody you need to speak to. Speak to them today if you can. Uh, this is an urgent message today, and out of our praise should flow obedience, surrender, letting God's will to be done in our lives.
But let's praise Him together this morning. Realize that our boast is not in ourselves, it's in Christ alone. Would you stand with us, please?